Friday, July 14th. As always, we've got Mark Yusko. I am filling in for Mike Lido. I'm Jack Farley, a host of the Forward Guidance Podcast. So I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't know if I can fill uh, Mike's shoes, but I'll, I'll do my best. Mark, great to have you here. And uh, no, thanks, thanks, Jack. Thanks for thanks for filling in. And I apologize. I'm, I'm kind of turning cockeyed here because I have a clogged tear duct. And so I'm, I'm feeling a little self-conscious about my my eye, but I'll do I'll do my quick sock reveal. So I got I got the Bitcoin orange pants on wow. uh, and I have the Genesis block uh, socks on today. So uh, why do I have the Genesis block socks on today? Well, because I think everything goes back to the uh, kind of origin story of, of Bitcoin, right? That uh, it's because of where we are with, with the macro environment and the creation of money and um, all of all of that, that that we need a, a sound money. And now you've got people like, I mean, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks and I was totally away and off the grid, but I did, I did sneak a couple um, little things to, to listen to. And one of them was uh, Larry Fink, right? Head of largest asset manager in the world, basically saying that Bitcoin was a good place to protect your assets from devaluation in the currency. I mean, literally, like your head explodes when one of the most powerful people in, in our business uh, go ahead and says, you know, this is a big deal. Right. And so that was one. Um, the second is, you know, while I was away, uh, I was telling Mike this last week, you know, I for years had talked about how the Medici's had formed the modern banking system. And part of that story was that they had borrowed, aka stole, right? Picasso. Well, I got to see the Picasso Museum, which was very cool, because uh, we went to Spain and Portugal. And Picasso said famously, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And so the Medici stole this, this idea from some monks. But I actually never knew who those monks were. Well, I found out they were the members of the Knights Templar, the Templar Knights, uh, in the Order of Christ in Portugal. So they are the people that actually invented fractions or banking and are at the root of, of kind of where we are today. And it goes back, and, and why did they do this? Well, it turns out they, they basically just held gold for these other knights that were going out on, you know, missions. And it turns out some of them didn't come back. And so I'm like, oh, well, we, we have all this stuff, so maybe we could lend it out and charge some interest and, and, and you know, the golden rule, right? He who has the gold makes the rules or he or she who has the gold makes the rules. And so they ended up with all this wealth and that wealth is at the center of a whole bunch of stuff that's created this pyramid, the all seeing eye over the years. Uh, that's at the root of, of all of the, the issues that we, we sit and talk about today. Anyway. That's super cool. So at what point, so there's a surplus gold because, you know, some, some knights went on a mission, they never came back. So we can lend their gold out. If, you know, party A lends gold to party B and they literally, party B gets the gold physically and then re returns it back with interest. 
I don't know that's fr- fractional reserve banking. What what's the Oh no no no, that was the point. They never they didn't they didn't actually lend it out physically. Yeah. They created money and credit mm, like okay. IOUs and and again I I don't I, I didn't go into all of these but to your point, the gold stayed in the vaults of uh this, you know, these Templar knights, the the order of Christ. You know, and it, it's really interesting. I I never really knew this, but you know the Portuguese the Portuguese were the the most powerful nation in the world, the world reserve currency for almost a century, and I didn't understand why. Well, now now I do, and and most of it had to do with their navy. Well, why did they have the most powerful navy? I used to say it's because they had the tallest trees. Well, that was part of it. Mostly it was because they had the money to build the best ships and that uh and so so anyway if you look at, at all the pictures of those original portuguese ships they all had the white sail with the red cross right which was the the order of christ mm-hmm. and so then I'm, I'm doing this this tour down spain and portugal and everywhere i look every monument every little like engraving in the street there's the cross go to a castle they have in their railings they've got the cross and so this money infiltrated the entire nation and what people forget and i didn't really think about spain and portugal were the center of the universe right cuz spain took over from portugal and was world reserve currency for another 75 80 years after Portugal. So for about 150 years, that was the center of the universe. And Seville, Spain was literally the portal that created the new world, right? Queen Isabella said, here you go, Chris, here's some ships, go off and discover the new world. And they were taking a lot of gold from South America, right? Oh, and brought it back. Well, and not only gold, but silver. And they actually Mm -hmm. ended up crashing the silver market because they brought back so much. And sometimes causing inflation, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But but what I thought was really interesting, one, she was the first venture capitalist because she said, I want 20% of what you bring back, the carried interest, right? Which we all now pay hedge funds and private equity funds. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then- I thought what was what was really interesting is in Seville, Spain, there is a building with every record of every voyage that went to the New World, both west to Americas and east, you know, Vasco da Gama to India. And and again, why why did that happen? You know, why did Christopher go left? And the other guys went right. Well, it's because spices. And most people have no comprehension. They said, if you had a a jar of cinnamon, it was worth your life. Like literally, if you were indebted to someone for your life, you could repay it with a jar of cinnamon. That's how valuable it was. Yeah. And so Spain became so valuable because da Gama went, to to the the uh, to India and got all the spice route and you know the gold and silver from the new world was important but the thing that I thought was really cool 
never thought about this. The horse, the cow, the pig, the chicken, not native to the Americas, mm-hmm. only native to Europe. And potato and tomato, right? That, you think of potatoes no, as no, uh, Yeah, no tomatoes in Italy. No tomatoes in Italy. That is- And I'm like, no, different. come on. And they're like, Mark, that was trade. And, and it's just, well, one, it's a thousand years of history, actually 2000 years. You know, we, we saw in Segovia, a Roman aqueduct, 2000 feet tall, no mortar, no concrete, just stone on stone with these beautiful arches, 200 feet in the air. It's been standing for 2000 years. We can't build stadiums that last 50 years. My office building, right? It's 15 years old, leaks every time it rains. And these guys built structures that last 2000 years. It was incredible. This is somewhat farcical, but do you think it's that like, because the financial world invented depreciation, suddenly that's why assets ah! buildings start to depreciate. It's like, oh, why, did, why are the pyramids still there? Because they hadn't invented depreciation yet. I love it. No, and, and Jack, what I love about that is, again, before it was unpopular to, to talk about or politically incorrect to talk about um, Bill Cosby, uh, they, he had this record album. I know you don't know what that is, but this black disc that he spun around um, when I was growing up. And he had this thing where he talked about this kid. He said, this kid could ride his bike anywhere. Over the top of the swing set, on the top of fence, he could do 360, six inch off the ground, never fell. First time he fell, when someone explained to him about gravity. And to your point, things didn't wear out until we invented depreciation and uh, created an incentive to to not have the, or look, it's like you can build a car that doesn't need maintenance every few thousand miles. Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, one of those conspiracy theories that definitely has some truth to it, uh, forced obsolescence, like the laund- company that makes your laundry washing machine, it makes it so that you have to buy another one in five years. Of course. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Let's move on to crypto. So Bitcoin has been cooking for the past month. Oh, uh, well, more, so more than that. And so you know, I'm sure it's been responding to your, your, your orange socks. Uh, and some of that is on the news anticipation that the BlackRock's filing for its ETF for, for yeah. a spot Bitcoin ETF will be approved. You referenced the CEO of BlackRock, one of the largest, probably the largest asset management company in yep. the world. Uh, they actually reported earnings today. And so in, in 2018, you know, Larry Fink's, when he asked about crypto, he said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, the only thing it's good for is money laundering. As late as maybe uh, 2022, I think it was actually at the same conference where SBF was with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew Ross Sorkin asked him about crypto and he really downplayed. He's, oh, psh, you know, crypto. I mean, it's a small little thing and, you know, we may launch an ITF or something. But now he's now he's changed his tune and is speaking like a true believer. You know, uh, so my question is, as someone who has been on the inside of the asset ma- management industry for a very long time, how much when you know a, a leader of an organization a very makes makes a comment about a certain asset class and they're trying to do business in that asset class should we even take them seriously was he as bearish you know in 2017 is he bullish now i mean is he, is he just kind of singing whatever tune necessary to sort of promote the the product oh well, great question so 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 again i don't want to speak for him but i will um absolutely not he was not as bearish as he came across, right? Nor was Jamie Dimon, 
nor nor Warren Buffett for that matter, right? Warren Buffett says it's like rat poison squared. Yeah. Like, what do you? How do you know what rat poison tastes like unless unless you're a rat? Actually, I'm just kidding around. Um, you know, and Charlie Munger one upped yeah. him and said, you know, trading in Bitcoin is like trading in newly harvested dead baby brains. Yeah. I'm like Charlie, seriously, dude. And Jamie Dimon, it's a fraud. And yet he's got a whole team building, you know, J.P. Morgan coin. Why? Why do they say this? Well, two reasons. One, you can judge the quality of the idea by the quality of its detractors. If people you and I and, and people who are listening to this don't really care about or know about, don't like an idea, who cares? Right? Probably not a very good idea. If people that we respect and admire and actually look up to dislike an idea, it's a really good freaking idea. And so, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I'll, I'll misquote this, but but the, the capacity for someone to understand something and believe in it is inversely proportional to how much their paycheck is dependent on them not believing it and accepting it. And so if you're the largest asset manager in the world and uh, or the largest bank in the world, uh, and along comes this technology back to my, my socks, and look, there's a reason the first image on the Bitcoin blockchain is the London Times chancellor on the verge of the second bailout for banks. That's not an accident, right? It's not an accident that January 3rd, uh, 2000... Nine? 2009, thank you. Yeah. January 3rd, 2009. That's not an accident, right? It's not like it was invented that morning. You know, Satoshi woke up and finished typing and... No, there was a reason that this was all released in the middle of the global financial crisis and the banking crisis. It's because this technology makes the 800-year run of the trust industry superfluous, right? We went from a system where we needed trust. And I use I the very simple example, and people are tired of hearing it, but, but it makes sense. Like if I lent you money, I wrote down in my ledger originally that you know Jack owes me 100 bucks, and you come back to pay me back. I'm an unscrupulous guy. I've changed the number to 200. And you're like, no, I only owe you 100. And I, but Jack, this is the ledger, one ledger. So the Medici's came along and said, no, no, there should be two ledgers. Jack, you keep a ledger. Mark, you keep a ledger. But here's the problem. I'm an unscrupulous guy. And the Medici's, they're, um, uh, they're inventive. So I say to them, you know, I'm going to change my number to 200 and I'll give you half. So you come back to pay me the hundred. I say, no, you owe me 200. And you're like, but, but Medici's, Medici's. And they're like, you know, Jack, you, you must have written down the wrong number. It just looks like you wrote down the wrong number. It was totally corruptible, that system. And, and we know the system's corruptible. The banks, the global banks, have paid fines equal to an amount larger than the market cap of Bitcoin. <laughs> And Just those fines probably that's not, that's not the malfeasance. Yeah. You know, the malfeasance is orders of magnitude bigger than that. Like we know last year, JP Morgan got fined $960 million, almost a billion dollars, for spoofing the price of gold. Well, why would they be willing to pay a billion dollar fine? They're like, because we made 20 billion. It's like a cost of doing business. Awesome. We're just gonna keep spoofing because you're not gonna stop us by charging us, you know, five percent. 
And so it's a long-winded way of saying Larry Fink was doing what he and everyone in financial services had to do. Well, well trash, which is trash a product that you don't have any business in. But now that he's going to have right, a business in, he's suddenly you found being disrupted. And here's the thing. Look, everyone knows I'm, I was a big investor in I and we. And it's not me. It's, it's, it's we. We. It's like Maverick and Goose. You know, <laughs> we. We um, had a big investment in BlockFi. And everybody's like, oh, you know, that was so stupid. I'm like, are you joking? They were on their way to becoming the new JP Morgan. People were moving money out of fiat in a ZERP world, moving it in digital assets, getting paid interest. Okay. They deposit the assets. They were lending the assets. It's a beautiful business. So what happened? When they took a billion dollars out of the banking system, who cares? We, We don't care. You take 10 billion out of the banking system, who cares? You take 100 billion across Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi, now we got a fucking problem. And what happened? Huh, the regulators show up. Huh, what are you guys doing? We don't, we don't really like what you're doing. You, you violated the law. What law? That, that's not important. You violated the law. Well, tell me what law I violated. The law I said. But you didn't say. You actually said the opposite. Well, that was then. Now I'm saying this is the law. Uh, okay. I mean, that's like playing you know, football and you get 10 yards and they say, no, I'm sorry, it's 20. All right, first down is 20 yards. Mm-hmm. So, so my point is, I believe, just my belief, just one guy, that those big institutions of which BlackRock happens to be one um, may have had a role in getting some of these state and and national regulators to clamp down on this upstart. Very similar to, I I don't know if you know the story of the Knickerbocker Trust. Mm -hmm. The Knickerbocker Trust, right, was this, you know, trust company and and they were taking business away from J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan famously quipped, "I, I like a little competition. But when they got too big, as the story goes, he spread rumors, he personally spread rumors that they were insolvent. And we've all seen the picture of the guys in their hats and the women in their dresses and their umbrellas running, you know, the little run on the bank, like it's a wonderful life. And he put them out of business. And then guess who got to buy the asset? Huh, JP Morgan. That, that's funny how that works. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, with, uh... The Knickerbocker Trust. I thought you were taking the, the First Republic. You know, was bought. Oh no, this is this is back in nineteen oh seven. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, we can we can go down Silicon Valley Bank too, but I'm going all the way back to nineteen oh seven. Yeah, when this happened, and and the trust law. Here's the crazy part: the trust law that allowed J.P. Morgan to buy uh, Knickerbocker Trust is the same law that FTX was using to try to get Celsius, Voyager, and BlockFi. Well, wait a minute. Who's an expert on trust law? Sam's dad. That's kind of a funny thing. That's like his specialty. So look, I've said for a long time, like over a year ago on this show, that none of these ETFs were going to get approved. And look, I have money. You know, I've, I'm invested in Bitwise. I'm invested in Amun. Uh, you know, I'm I'm rooting for 21 shares. I'm rooting for Bitwise. I, I to get I'm, a spot ETF. Yeah, to get a yeah. spot ETF. And I was like, none of them are going to get approved. The only one that will get approved is BlackRock. 
And people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. Here we are. And now everybody's saying, oh, but they're, they're not first in line. I don't care. They are going to be the ones that get approved. And if that means they have to disapprove 21 shares, even though it's the same application, basically, it's not exactly the same. I, I think, again, I'm entitled to my personal opinion. I think they're going to do it. And, you know, others are saying, well, they have to approve 21 shares if they want to approve BlackRock. No, they don't. They don't. Um, technically, they're first in the queue, but they can do what they always have done is just let it expire and then approve the next one. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm still sticking with BlackRock will get approved. They will take the, mar- the market share. And, and why is that important? Well, it's important because if, if you believe, as I do, that everything of the last two years was not an accident, that it was an intentional set of acts to disrupt the disruptors. As I said, we, you know, we're in phase three. Phase one, the, the Gandhi quote, first they mm-hmm. ignored it. 2009 to 15, no one cared about crypto. No one cared in Washington, D.C. No one cared in New York City. No one cared. No, no. I mean, Jamie might have heard it from his daughter. Hey, dad, this stuff's cool. It's like, yeah, go away. It, you know, and it was a bunch of nerds and geeks playing with their magic internet money. Right. So, okay. So uh, Larry Fink sort of trashing crypto and Bitcoin before BlackRock, his company, applied for an ETF. You think, you know, he had an interest there. What about now that he is speaking about the virtues of crypto, about it's going to replace all other currencies. It's a hedge. That, yeah. I mean, is he just talking his book there? Profit maximization, right? He wants the flows into his ETF to be massive, right? So he can collect the fees. But there's a there's a more sinister, right? We, we have to go to Sinister Saturday since this airs on Saturday. And, you know, mm-hmm. Mike always hates that. But I, 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 like, <laughs> the sinister, I like the Sinister Saturday. Mike hates Sinister Saturday. That's funny. Yeah. And the sinister part for me is CBDCs, right? I think all of this, everything from Silicon Valley Bank to Signature to First Republic, all of it, I believe, is to foment fear and distrust of the banking system, concentrate the assets in a very small number of institutions, and turn the switch to CBDC and create a surveillance state and programmable money. And you know, all you got to do is watch the minute 47 of Augustine Karsten's, you know, Mr. Kingpin. Um, what's that? And, and pardon? What's what's minute 47? So Augustine Karsten's is the the head of the BIS, mm. and he's this big giant oh, guy. You used to call him Jabba the Hutt, but he yep, really looks like Kingpin. And he has this minute 47 clip where he describes why, of course, they should be in charge of our money. And that, yes, we should be able to control if you can spend it. Like if you don't spend it by Friday, it goes away. Like if we deem that Target is a superior company to Walmart, your money won't work at Walmart. Yeah. Or we need to have economic growth of 8%. You know, hey, Mark, you're not spending enough money. You're saving too much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so there have been some p- papers from the BIS and and, and um, he said that, but I, I've seen some papers about CBDC. So I think you're right on the intent there. And then obviously, you know, the Federal Reserve did raise interest rates and those two factors you said 
distrust in the banking system and uh, then the consolidation to larger banks. I mean, definitely that second one is is objectively true. But I see, I don't think that it was the intent of the federal. I think I, I take them at their word that they were fighting inflation. That's probably the, so I think we agree largely on the facts. It's just the. Yeah, see, I, I, I guess I, my point is we don't have inflation. And this is an argument in the debate and, you know, others would, would just, I, I don't think we've had any inflation. We've had currency devaluation. We've had the greatest currency devaluation in the history of currency devaluations. And it was, I believe, again, intentional under the cover of lockdowns, which I believe were part of the plan to create an environment where the MMT nonsense, the cult of Kelton, as I refer to it, could, could, could prosper. I mean, look, we, we created 50, five, zero. And you know, one of the things you appreciate when you go to Europe is mm-hmm. we're just like toddlers in the United States, right? 246 years of, or 47 years of a right. Republic. It's just not, it's, you know, the, the Moors were in the Iberian Peninsula for 800 years. And they're gone, right? I mean, but they they were in charge for 800 years. So they've been around a long time. But for 246 of the 240, 245 of the 247 years of the U.S. Republic, we created half the money. And then in two years, we created the second half of the money. We literally, out of thin air, created half of all the money that's ever been created. And I don't believe that was unintentional. I believe it was absolutely intentional. It's the only way out. When, you, when, you be, when you're an empire and you become overly indebted, you have four choices. You can pay back. Can't do that. Okay. Even if you taxed all the wealth, forget income, taxed all the wealth, you can't pay back the debt. You can restructure it, but someone's got to take the other side. No one's going to take a worse deal. Uh, you can default on it. Whoa, can't do that because then you get kicked out of office. Mm-hmm. So you devalue it, deflate it, or inflate it. Yeah, inflate. So that is inflation. So why do you- Well, but see, again, no, it's semantics. Mm -hmm. To me, devaluation is different than inflation. Inflation is when prices rise because demand exceeds supply. If there are a thousand cars and there's demand for 1,200 cars, the price will rise. That to me is inflation, okay? If I print a million dollars and I devalue the currency by 50%, to me, that's currency devaluation. Now- But you create a lot of demand because there's more money. Yeah, it, one could argue it's the same, yeah. it's the distinction without a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. But, I, and again, I've been, been debating this with Mike for the last year, saying this spike in inflation, it's gone, right? By the end of this year, we'll be back to deflation. There will be no talk of inflation. We've already seen it with the commodities. And now we're going to see it in services. And then the sticky part is the owner's equivalent rent, which is a dumb thing. The rent you it charge is. yourself to rent your house from yourself, which you would Super never do. Super lagging, yeah. Just a total. So I, I just don't believe there's ever been any inflation because there was no, there was a step function change in global supply and demand by this authoritarian lockdown nonsense. Yes. And in places like China, where there were you know, very rigid lockdowns and no fiscal stimulus, there wasn't a huge demand boom. But in America, where there was a lot of fiscal stimulus, and we have this you know, very consumer culture, everyone's ordering stuff on Amazon, and no one's working, uh, or very few people are working, suddenly there's not enough stuff. So there's yeah, a supply, amen. you know, 
Now, then we started hearing about supply chain issues. Now everyone wants to ship. Oh, so shipping rates explode higher. And then yeah. everyone over orders in 2022. Now there's too much stuff. Yeah. Look, and I, here's the one thing. I used to be in the camp that recession, that we're in recession, we're going to be in a recession. This last trip, no way. There's yeah. no global recession. Planes were full, hotels were full, restaurants were full, prices were high, people were well dressed, everybody was happy. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically of the belief that that we we are in kind of this Goldilocks world where they're devaluing the currency at a rate. It's like boiling the frog, right? If you do it too fast, the whole experiment, you know, you kill the frog. If you don't do it fast enough, the frog jumps out. So they actually are doing it at, at the right speed. Yes, I, I, we got to talk about the economy and just how well the economy has performed relative to expectations. I think now there, there definitely were some soft landing people and some you know very optimistic people. So I, and they deserve a ton of credit. Um, but it was a mainstream view nine months ago that the U.S. was heading into a recession. I remember literally Bloomberg had a uh, recession odds probability. And it was 99%. So it's not like it was only the doomsayers who were... And, and one of those guys, one of the guys on that that panel, actually, it was this morning. I, he, said, he said this, he said, how, how do you phrase it? Um, you just won't feel it. That we're, we're in it, but you won't feel it. So it won't be your normal. I'm like, no, okay. You're either in or you're out. Right. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a binary. It's a one zero. You're either in recession or you're not. And. But it's interesting that there are so many people. And again, I was in the camp. Right. I looked at the data and I said everything except employment is down. Employment, I believe, is totally manufactured by the birth death ratio and, and that nonsense. And, and so it, 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 we're in recession. And and yet everywhere you look, things continue to rock along. And I think that's. Because the expansion of credit, right? Credit card debt went crazy. You know, consumer debt went crazy. Corporate debt went crazy. Government debt went crazy. And so ultimately, it, but the one thing that's not working in yeah. this whole thing is gold, right? Because, well, gold doesn't do well when, it, when there's a good economy, right? It needs like stagflation. Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. No, and that's the thing is it, it, for for. For all of this other stuff, we probably just should have been looking at gold. Now, the problem with gold is, is it really being spoofed? And that's that's why it's flat. But to your point, it it should be, you know, as as Chris Wood says from CLSA, right? 3500 bucks, but it's not. And what I think is interesting, back to, to crypto, you know, everybody's like, crypto hasn't been a good inflation hedge. Like, are you joking? If you go back to 2020, the price was like $8,000, right? And then we doubled the money supply. No, it was $10,000. Was $10, we doubled the money supply and therefore just doing Bitcoin production. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. We don't buy it. We don't price it in Bitcoin. Price it in dollars. So in dollars, it should have gone up 100%. It did. It went to 20. People said, oh, but it went to 15. Like, who cares? It, it went to 20 and now it's 30 again. And so what is by that? By way of 65. Yeah, by way of 65. And But the 65 was leverage, right? That was, and, and that's what happens to every asset. 
right? It's what's happening to stocks right now. Why are stocks up so much? Because the question. multiple I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, no, the, the multiple expanded. Why did the multiple expand? Because margin debt expanded again. So last year in the, in the depths, we started to pay down leverage. The problem is we only paid it. So we hit this spike in margin debt that we'd never seen. Now people say, oh, on a percentage of market cap, it wasn't as high. Okay, it was close, but it was, it was near the all-time record. That was what, 2021? 2021. And then it yeah, started yeah. to go down in 2022. And that was good. And the market went down. Like it was supposed to. But then it stopped going down in November because of the pivot. Like, well, what pivot? They're still raising rates. There was no pivot. And they're still shrinking their balance sheet. They're still they're still doing there was there was never a pivot. But the but the media machine, like the jawboning and, and the speeches, it's amazing. I mean, no one, it's literally like we need the little kid. The king's naked. Ugh. Ugh. But no one's willing to say that. And so so all that happened. And so so this year, we're having just one of the greatest short covering rallies in history. I mean, NVIDIA is like the greatest poster child for it. I mean, NVIDIA is the, the Tesla of three years ago, right? You know, everyone was sure Tesla was going to go down and go bust. And they came pretty close. And they probably lied about some stuff, but, but they didn't. And had one of the great short squeezes of all time, right? And uh, the whole short shorts thing with Elon. This NVIDIA short squeeze is, is bigger. And, and the data... In, in Q1 and Q2 was, was the biggest number of short covering, again, in history. And anytime you can say in history, it's a big deal, right? Because we have a long history and, well, short relative to Europe. As you know, from Spain long. and Portugal. Yeah, Spain and Portugal, a lot, I was super long. But I, I, I think what's interesting now is, is Bitcoin is, I believe, in crypto summer. Right? I think crypto summer started June 15th. Now, how bizarre, and I don't think anyone was, was paying attention to me, so that's not my point, but I thought it was bizarre. You know, a few months ago, I said June 15th was the equinox. That's the day that BlackRock announces their ETF. I mean, that's just total happenstance. Again, I had nothing to do with it. Um, but I just thought it was total. And that is literally the low. In this, in this, because there was a correction that was going on after the big rally from November, and that was the low. And so now we're in this, and and summer is not parabolic, right? That's mm -hmm. fall. So they're the four grind, seasons. Grind higher. You know, winter, fall. Grind higher. Yeah, and so we grind higher. So we have higher lows and higher highs, and we head towards fair value. And we've had Tim Peterson on the show, and Tim's awesome, and and he has this Metcalf's law model, and. You know, at the trough in the bear market, okay, last year, the fair value of Bitcoin got pretty low. It got down into the mid-20s. Today, same model saying we're back in the 50s. And so I think we grind toward 50 by the halving. Then we go parabolic. But the caveat is there's not as much leverage this time. So I don't, you know, last time the fair value was 20. We got to 60, you know, three times. That mm -hmm. probably isn't going to happen this time. This time, if fair value is 50, 
Could could we get three times above that? I don't think so. Could we get two times? Sure, for sure. And and then you drop back to fair value and probably go below fair value in the next crypto winter. But here's the thing that I think is interesting. If you look at all the halvings, we we basically 10x, and this fits the Metcalf's law curve. We basically 10x the total market cap, basically we add a zero. So we went from 100 to 1,000, 1,000 to 10,000. This will be 100,000. And then the next one in 2028 is a million. And oh, that's just stupid. How can you even say that? I'm like, well, it's just math. I mean, it's literally. I could, so, I could see 100,000, but you know, forgive me. I do have a hard time with Bitcoin on a million dollars. I do have I know, but it's, it's just because it's just because we, we, we're just not good at math, right? Mm-hmm. That's still, that's a 10X. That's the same move as 1,000 to 10,000 and 10,000 to 100,000, right? But Mark, to your earlier point about from 20, 2009 to 2015, no one in traditional finance cared about crypto. And it, there was room for it to 10X. If, if your you know, market cap goes from 10 million to 100 million, oh, it can go from 100 million to a billion. But it's if it keeps this law of tens continues pretty soon, like it's going to have to become the, the broad economy. If it 10x forever, true. Yeah. But but think about it. so. Have you read Snow Crash? No, I haven't. But look, you have to read this. The dude predicted everything this happening with the metaverse. But in it, he talks about the trillion dollars not being worth anything. And this is the dystopian future. And you're just like, oh my God. So Yes, a 10x doesn't seem possible if the dollar were to stay the same. Mm-hmm. But if we hyperinflate or hyperdevalue, but in in that world where you hyperdevalue, a plane ticket costs a quarter million dollars, right? So you have to have huge inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I I come back to a million dollar coin is roughly 10 trillion of of market cap and that to me is not unfeasible now the the 250 number i'm sorry the 500 number is the number i'm very comfortable with Mm -hmm. because that is the monetary value of no i'm sorry no i have this wrong half a million is 10 trillion 250 is okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah, and and to be 20 trillion 20 trillion is a big number. 10 trillion is the value of gold, give or take, above ground. Some say it's 11, but let's just round it to 10. That doesn't count because half of it is chalices and you know uh, uh, jewelry. But the monetary, this is the base layer of money in all the central banks around the world, that's 5 trillion. Bitcoin's going to take that. I mean... I'm as certain of that as I am that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. That, Take that from yeah. gold, so gold goes down in value. No, I that one that one's tougher for me. I do think that the central banks move, but I don't know that they sell the gold. I don't know. I think mm-hmm. maybe what happens is it they devalue their currency, so they print the fiat to buy the Bitcoin to go with the gold. So you have both, but that, I, I, I could make the case that gold does go down. I could, but Peter Schiff would be mad at me and I don't want to know Peter. <laughs> um, but I, I think if 
if, if what I believe, which is money, right? There's only one money in the world, gold. And money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. And everything builds on top of that. So we have Fedwire, ACH, Visa, MasterCard. The debt system sits on top of the money system. If gold gets displaced physically or spiritually by Bitcoin, and Bitcoin takes that $5 trillion layer, and then we build Lightning and L3 and L4 and stuff on top of that, um, that's the digital future. And, and in Snow Crash, they, they have this, right? There, there is no physical money. It's all digital and it's all in the metaverse. And, and the crazy part is they, they talk about goggling. Mm-hmm. And when they describe the goggles, it's the Apple thing that just got announced. Oh, yeah? That's cool. I mean, the same thing, like the way they describe how it looks and how you can make it clear or make it go fully in so you're in the... Me- it's like, holy shit, this is bizarre. And then it's little stuff like the the the... the protagonist of the story his name is hero and we have the hero wallet for ordinals and there's a whole bunch of of words like that that have found their way into the crypto ecosystem and this book was written a long time ago so it's all just very interesting um and you got the you got a you got a you got a nod to the knights templar and a whole bunch of other stuff but it's a great book um but my point there is if, how do you get to the million dollar number? Well, it's, we, we migrate from just the base layer to the replacement of the debt system money in a reverse Gresham's Law way. And the guy to, you should interview Murray Stahl. Oh, so he's, yeah. He's great. Other show. Because Murray articulates this better than I do. And it's funny. I would say Murray makes me look bearish. Really? Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, no, no, no. Look, I'm, I'm a bullish guy, right? And I love Bitcoin. You got my sign. I mean, yep. I love it. He makes me seem bearish because he's like, Mark, 86 trillion global monetary system is all going to Bitcoin. All of it. And here's why. And he lays it out in, and look, he's even older than me, right? And it's not that old is better. It's just, we actually have some knowledge and some wisdom, hopefully. Yeah, and he's a very in-depth researcher on all sorts of things in finance as a very well-accomplished investment firm. He's a mad genius. I knew he was like Bitcoin uh, open. I didn't know that he was such a, even more bullish than you. He's one of the largest miners in the country. He has a mining fund that he raised like 10 years ago, long before anybody else. What I love, he did this is amazing. In the last bear market, he bought all the machines from the the defunct miners. I remember reading those articles about how uh, and that, that, that was a bigger out. case for Nvidia that uh, crypto miners don't want to buy right. the rigs. And he pieced them out. He broke them up into pieces, and now he uses those pieces to keep his machines at a higher on percentage. I mean, the guy the guy's a mad genius. Um, but he also has crypto fund, Bitcoin fund. Uh, he, he invests in things like, you know, microstrategy. So he's just, and he's a value guy, right? This is a guy who built a $6 billion asset management firm around value. And he like Bill Miller. And it's interesting. There's this group of us, I call us the OMGs, right? The old macro guys. And it's, you know, Burbank and 
Moorhead and and Novo and and uh, you know there's and and these guys Murray and and um, and if, I mean there's 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 a handful and Bill Bill Miller and and it's and look, most of those guys are way more successful than I'll ever be but but that's not the point we're just we're old and we came around right we were shown this idea. And most of us were skeptical at first. Not all of us. You know, Dan was less skeptical, cost me money, but I was skeptical. But when you did the work, like like Bill says, you know, he he did even just a little analysis. He's like, oh my God, this is Amazon. And most people don't know this. There are, there are only five people in the world that bought, and there's probably more than five, but but I joke there's five, that bought the Amazon IPO on the day 27 years ago and still hold it. Jeff, mom, dad, ex-wife, and Bill Miller. Bill Miller's cost of Amazon shares, I love this, is seven cents. That's his cost. And he's never sold a share. And he's never sold any of his Bitcoin that he's accumulated. And his son is partly responsible. You know, Bill the Fourth is 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 definitely all in. But old Bill, like me, he's 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 there because he he views value the way Murray does, which is value isn't just low price to book and low PE value is, is the current price lower than the future wealth and value that's created by the business or the entity or the asset. And so, but all of that comes back to uh, BlackRock, right? BlackRock is $9.4 trillion for a reason, right? And counting. And counting, you know, they're the top of the all seeing eye. Um, They're top of the pyramid. And, Jamie and JP Morgan. Yeah. Did you, did you watch the show? It's another, like, like Yellowstone. I see you're going to notice this trend. I watch all these things with big body counts. Uh, Mr. Um, Mr. Robot. No, but I've seen some clips. Oh my God. You have to watch this. Jack. This is a series. I think it was like Netflix. No, it wasn't Netflix. It was like TNT. Yeah. Holy crap. You know, the guy who played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, Amazing. An He's a hacker amazing and story. The debt of all. And and in it, there is this thing called Evil Corp, which is definitely JP Morgan, and Evil Coin, which is definitely JP Morgan coin. But they talk about Bitcoin and they talk, and he's a program. What's JP Morgan coin? Is that the dollar or is that the blockchain product that they're working That's on? That's the blockchain product. But, okay, but yeah, yeah. ultimately, and ultimately becomes CBDC, the dollar. But But in the show, they talk about all this stuff and you're just like, oh my. and again, this was in 2015, 16. This was not, you know, ex post. This was right while it was going on. I would say if I had watched it in real time instead of watching it last year, I'd be a lot richer, but um, it's still worth watching. It, the only problem is the gratuitous violence and the gratuitous drug stuff is a little much sometimes. You got to fast forward, but. Well, we, we appreciate the, uh, you know, the advisory to pe- for people, you know, who yeah. want to yeah. avoid that. Uh, so, yeah. so my question is for you, in this world where people are adopting you know, a lot more crypto, what does economic growth look like relative to now? You know, the big banks today, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, uh, Citibank reported their earnings, and a lot of people are borrowing a lot more on their credit card. Yeah. And bank earnings are going up because they're not uh, you know, taking as many loan yeah. losses as people yeah, yeah. thought, uh, and they get to just you know, higher rates. They get, and NIMS uh, are higher. More, I mean, yeah, net interest margins are high. They're still not paying depositors anything, and they're making more on their bond portfolios. And look, 
here's here's my big pet peeve, and this makes the the maxis all mad. Um, okay. They're all like, you know, not your keys, not your coins. Get off the exchanges and put your things on a ledger, and and that's it. Which fine, I'm happy. I own a piece of ledger now. I own a piece of Coinbase too, and Coinbase is kicking ass. It is kicking ass, kicking yeah. ass, and taking names. And I'm I'm so happy for those guys. I'm happy for me too. And it's a very shorted stock, and uh, yeah, it's not good when you're short a stock that's going up. 25%. No, 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 they're kicking ass. And but but the point is, if if the only role of Bitcoin is to sit on a thumb drive and you bury it in your backyard, we can all go home. We don't need that. We have gold. That's not what we need. I agree. If the goal, as you describe, and, and your question is so insightful, and you know, my big thing is questions are more important than answers. You know, I'm a Mr. Guy. I'm supposed to give the answers, and that's not important. What's important is the questions. And your question is the question that everyone needs to be asking because in a world where we have a deflationary asset instead of an inflationary asset. Wait a second. If everyone's hoarding and hodling, growth will slow. No one's spending because money. Here's the thing. The Knights Templar, we owe them a debt of gratitude. Because before they came along, we had crappy growth. It wasn't horrible, horrible, but, but it was slow and it was crappy and it was hard. And post that, We've had the greatest boom over the last thousand years in human history because of fractionals are banking. Oh, no, fractionals are banking is evil. No, 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 no. And I put this challenge out there to everyone all the time. Name a country without a fractionals banking or with a poorly functioning fracture that you would live in. I'll wait. Yeah. Because no one's going to find it. Because what fractionals are banking does is it multiplies the impact of the wealth that's created and by the way for people, this is not an ai deep fake of oh, oh tell make a video of mark yusko saying that fractional reserve banking isn't evil. no this no is real. this is this real is yeah. this is real because without fractional reserve bank without rehypothecation you have stagnant growth and the wealth then concentrates in the in the hoarders yeah. if i all i own is bitcoin and i know that it's going to a million dollars i don't or i don't just think like you think that it's going to half a million i know it's going to half a million when i when i go to starbucks am i going to buy a bitcoin but buy starbucks with bitcoin no, in an asset no, that's going to be worth no, half a million dollars no 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 and because what we want is bitcoin to be the base layer of money and then on top of that we do what we do which is we lend it we borrow against it. We swap it. We rehypothecate it. We do the things that banking does because, again, banking is not the problem. You know, it's like it's like when they call FTX. It was a crypto problem. No, it wasn't. By the way, I still don't know what FTX stands for. <laughs> I don't either. That's a good point. Um, I can come up with a good one though. But <laughs> but um, fucking thieves, right? Um, but it's. It's not that that was a crypto problem. Crypto didn't fail. DeFi didn't fail. That was a bad people doing bad things. And an and unregulated thing. Like if JP Morgan Definitely was doing that, the SEC would be on them in a day. Oh, yeah, no, no. That, but they're in the Bahamas, so, you know, they're kind of no, just- It's a very good point. And, making sandcastles. And look, if you believe as I do that it was all part of a grander plan, you know, great. Um, some people don't like that, but I, I can point to- a, too many coincidences. Like, it's just a weird coincidence, like I said, that, you know, 
Sam's dad is an expert on the trust law that he used to try to take over these companies that he lied to. And it's the old adage, right? If you borrow $1,000, you got a banker. If you borrow a million dollars, you got a partner. When Luna crashed and, you know, Alameda was done, you got two choices. You can fess up, go to jail, or you can try to buy the bank. So then you don't have to pay back the loan. Because guess what? You can prioritize who pays back the loans. So they tried to buy Celsius. And they're like, shit. That, no, no, it's bad. Hole's too big. Out. Buy Voyager. So they buy Voyager. Didn't because, work out. Well, yeah, this unwinded. is complex. And when this is reported that they would buy Voyager, you know, it was not like they said, oh, the reason we're buying Voyager is for this reason. So, But the reason is because Voyager, FTX owed a lot of money to Voyager. Exactly. Yeah, so FTX wanted to buy uh, own buy Voyager uh, and to sort of nullify that debt. And also- 100%. And I have inside baseball, not inside information, but I have inside baseball on the BlockFi part of that equation. And here's the thing. Um, I'm now at the mercy of a judge, which many people are in this business right now, um, that I will argue that because there was fraudulent conveyance of this rescue package to BlockFi by FTX, that they actually didn't have the money they said, the option that they had to buy BlockFi should be null and void. And if that is the case, then us preferred shareholders will have some value to recover. Um, but we need the judge to, to rule that. So if he or she is listening, I, I would appreciate that very much because that's the right thing to do because there was fraudulent conveyance. There's no no question. I'm not a lawyer, but there was fraudulent something. Yeah, there, there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I said, I, I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV and I didn't stay at Holiday Inn Express last night, but, but you don't have to be really smart to know there was fraud there. Um, so, but I think your point, what will growth look like in a world where, look, moving away from globalism to nationalism reduces growth, mm -hmm. full stop, okay? Moving to a world of less rehypothecation and less fractional reserve lending. Now, there's a point, there is, a, there is an inflection point where too much leverage, the whole system crashes. So For we sure. don't want that. And we do, we do want rules and, and, and the banking rules have been actually pretty good for you know hundreds of years so yeah but yeah unregulated like i mean 2008 it can have a really boom bust cycle and so i think i mean well but that that was the lack of regulation yeah, right? yeah they weren't enforcing against lehman and others i mean lehman was 40 times levered they're supposed to be 12. yeah and deutsche bank you know, arguably it was 60 and needs, and still probably in the 30s, and it needs to be 12. But most of the banks weren't doing really bad stuff. It was just a small handful of those investment banks that then got nationalized. And, and, um, and look, there was, there was more than rehypothecation in global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. There was the fraud around subprime and, and you know, making loans that people couldn't couldn't fog a mirror, literally like securitization. Yeah, reliance look, on like unstable funding structures. I mean, look, if you take a bunch of garbage and slice it up and say, well, the least garbage stuff is valuable. Okay, that's fine, and we'll rate that AAA. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's not AAA, but it's not garbage. And then to say that the the, the top of the stack, the equity, is viable, and and then I can borrow against that and put that into a whole nother structure. And yeah. put that into a whole nother structure and do it again, CDO squared. So that was, I think, a lack of of oversight. But it's what happens when we've all watched billions. They're all friends. Right? These are all your friends who get the secretary of the treasury job and the secretary, you know, and they all happen to work for the same firm. That's the weird part um, in a past life. I, I, I'm not going to name names, but they all <laughs> do happen to work for the same firm, as do all the central bankers and, and most of the, you know, uh, large asset managers. Sorry to interrupt. Wanted to let you know about BlockWorks upcoming crypto event, Permissionless 2. This ultimate DeFi gathering will be taking place in Austin on the 11th to the 13th of September, 2023. It will feature the very best discussions on ZK tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, and much, much more. All the big hitters in crypto are gonna be there. So if you're into crypto, you need to be there too. To get a 20% discount to a full three-day pass to Permissionless 2, click the link in the description and use code GUIDANCE20. That's GUIDANCE20. Thanks, let's get back to the episode. What I get so excited about with with digital and particularly with Bitcoin is it's it's the sum of technological innovation over seven decades. So it's not like an overnight. So it's like it's like when people say AI, brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like sixty years old. It's not new, and and Bitcoin is the evolution of a lot of people and. When Tim May wrote the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto in 1988, again, like Snow Crash, he laid out everything that was going to happen over the next 30 years. I mean, literally in that document, which is not a very long document, he talked about everything that was going to happen, how the state was going to fight back. And, and, um, and But the problem is, I, I joke, no one cared about it for 20 years until Satoshi came along because Tim was a anarchist and he lived up in the mountains by himself. Mm-hmm. And I would joke, had no friends. I mean, he had friends, but he didn't, he didn't influence a lot of people and there was no social media. And so when Satoshi came along, he, she, they solved a very hard problem. The double spending of, of money, digital money. Because look, if, if I can just make a copy of money on my phone and send it to you, that sucks for the government. Sucks for you because I'm sending you, uh, you know, a, a fake asset. But Bitcoin is unbelievable because of that third ledger. No more me influencing the Medici's to steal money from you. I lent you a hundred. The ledger says it's a hundred. It's permanent. It's immutable. It can't change. I can't change it. You can't change it. And the best part, it can be with a smart contract <laughs> to execute. I have this bad reputation. I bet people stuff and, you know, football games and that kind of stuff. And, and we always bet the same thing, steak dinner. And, mm-hmm. and we never collect, you know, because, you know, we forget or whatever. Like if you have a smart contract, you know, money goes to your account right away. So that's, that's an improvement. What about uh, like people who copy Bitcoin or, say, or like they, they copy and paste yeah. the code of Bitcoin and say, yeah. oh, I've got Bitcoin too. Yeah, Litecoin, um, yeah. others. Um, a couple of things. One, we know the longest chain wins, um, but it's really more about custom and precedent, right? Why is the dollar valuable? Mm-hmm. There's no backing. 
There's no gold behind it, no silver behind it, no full faith and credit. No, you don't get tax revenues. You get nothing. It only has value because you and I have belief in custom that if I give you a green piece of paper or a bunch of ones and zeros in your bank account, that you can use it to acquire some good or service. And, and it's, you know, Paul Romer won the Nobel Prize for this four or five years ago. It's called the law of increasing returns. And it says that the best technology is not the technology. I mean, the, the best, the winning technology is not the best technology. Mm. It's the technology that gets critical mass first. And we got lots of examples from Betamax and VHS to, um, you know, any number of, of you know, social media and, and things like that. Um, you know, it's not that, that Facebook was necessarily better than MySpace. Arguably, MySpace had some, some features that were better, but Facebook went viral because they had yeah. a genius, genius. Not, the system does not maximize for enjoyment or what is the best experience. It's what's the most viral, you know? Yeah, what's the most viral. And the more people that use a certain asset, and that's why the miracle, and I, I said this, I think I wrote a piece on like who is Satoshi Nakamoto in 2016 or 17. I can't remember when I wrote it. And, and I did a bunch of research and my, my favorite one was if you Google Satoshi Nakamoto, one of the things that comes up is intelligence central because Nakamoto is the surname of people from the central provinces of, of Japan mm. and Satoshi means intelligence. And oh. I'm like, Holy crap, that's way close to CIA. So, uh, so I went down that rabbit hole and, and to the point I, I, I talked to Scott Stornetta, who is the guy who cited three times in the footnotes. Um, he invented SHA-256 with his partner. I mean, he's the father of blockchain and they're a venture partner of ours. And, and I said, Scott, I, I worry about this. You know, what do you think? Could, could there be a back door? Like if I were a failing state, I would create something to get everybody to exchange money for this new thing. And then I would oh, steal yeah. it all at the back door. And he thought, he went, no. What do you mean, no? How, how did you do it that fast? He says, well, I see your point and it's a good idea, but it's impossible. Blockchain is air gapped. I was just like, okay. And if you're telling me it's not, he says, now Ethereum, that could happen, but Bitcoin can't happen. And so, but my point there is that Satoshi came along and, and created this thing that solved the double spend. And in so doing, and, and um, what the hell is his name? Eric Schmidt said, mm -hmm. he said, and Eric knows a thing or two about tech, right? Um, you know, former CEO of Google. He said, you know, Satoshi's creation of Bitcoin is big. But what's really big is the ability to create a unique asset in the digital space. A lot of companies will be built on that. And that is a very profound statement. And I believe everything in the world, every stock, every bond, every currency, every commodity, every piece of art, every case of wine, every collectible car, every private mm -hmm. business, every piece of everything will eventually be tokens on ledgers. And Every, so everything will be token on ledgers, stocks, bonds, all these things are security. Everything. So it will have to be regulated by the SEC. And that will actually be a good thing. Yeah. Yes oh, no? no, regulation is not bad. Yeah, yeah. It just needs to be regulation for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I will argue right now, regulation has been used as a weapon to slow down disruption. 
the same way that people tried to use regulation at the turn of the century to slow down the automobile, right? They passed the red flag law. People are tired of hearing this one too, where you had to hire someone to walk in front of your car with a red flag so people didn't get hit. You never see that anymore. But yeah, they they and they did. They tried but to pass. That. I mean, FTX obviously. Yeah, Gemini. I mean, you pay like paying rewards, and you're saying you're getting it from the loans that you're making, but you're actually just paying it with you know your but your budget. Yeah, I mean, look, bad people are going to do bad things, and that's been the case. Look, it's called bucket shops mm-hmm. for a reason, right? The Wolf of Wall Street is not fiction. Yep. You know it. Anytime money's involved, and this goes back to ancient times. Go to ancient Rome, read Roman history, and you'll find all the same scams. You know, not social media, but the same kind of scams, lending scams. You know, the reason we have ridges on the quarter (laughs) is because they would clip the coins because they were pure silver and you couldn't tell. And so they put ridges on it. So if you didn't have ridges, then you knew the coin had been clipped. And so the same scams by the same bad people, bad people are going to do bad things. But they're the minority, thankfully. And we we get through it, but for some reason, people act like it's it's new. And then they attribute the bad stuff to the tech instead of the people. That's the mistake. It's true. Um, Mark, we got to, in a closing moments, we got to talk just about the economy. Earlier, you referenced that you think we you know, not in a recession. Do you think that we will avoid a recession? Like where are we in this economic cycle? If we're not at the, you know, the middle or the end going into a recession, yeah. are we at the beginning? I mean, what, what is, yeah. you think so the, I'm, I'm going to argue, I'm going to argue that we did have past tense, a recession, right? Mm-hmm. Q1, Q2 of 22, uh, negative GDP back to back was a recession. Now, it was a 2001-esque recession. I think total GDP last year was 0.9, which is almost exactly the same as 2001, which mm-hmm. was a recession. Now, Adjusted for inflation. So nominally, everything is insanely yeah. hot. But yeah. if, once you adjust for inflation, yeah. it was, yeah. And, and, and real is what, what matters, right? Mm, and yeah. so what, but the reason they didn't want to call it a recession was because there are you know, four things they look at. Three of them said recession, but- employment didn't, it's because they fudged the employment numbers. I mean, and I don't mean like fudge them intentionally to get around calling the recession. It's just the birth death ratio is a bad system. It's been a bad system for years. Why they don't change it. We, we know, right? With certainty because we have computers that tell us who gets paid, how much they get paid, when they get paid. We know what employment is. But yet we still use this antiquated system of saying, well, we're 36 months into an economic expansion. Therefore, this many companies should be formed and this many should die. And But that all goes away in a ZERP world because the incentives are wrong. When we had negative interest rates, mm-hmm. there was really bizarre stuff going on. Yeah, I haven't looked into that, but I should. I've been, I've been here. I mean, if it's half as crazy as I've been hearing. Yeah. Three quarters of the jobs, you know, were, were mythical. And that's fine. Um, and the other one is this whole nonsense that the administration is trying to say, oh, they're the greatest creation, job creation president in history. Are you, are you joking? You locked the world down. Not they, but the world locked yeah, down. Yeah. And people stopped working. And then they go back to work. That's not job creation. That's yeah, the, it's, it's base effects. I mean, it's, it's yeah. It's basically, it's, but it's the same fallacy of hurricanes. When a hurricane destroys 
Florida. They don't ding the GDP. When they rebuild, they add to the GDP. That's ridiculous. But, but we've always done it that way. In fact, retail sales don't adjust for population growth. I didn't what know do that. you mean you don't adjust for population growth? Of course you have to. We don't. And we're not going to change. Like, well, why? I, and I, it's just this, and it's, it's, it, they have a, a footnote that says this is not adjusted for population growth. But that's silly. Now, maybe population growth isn't as fast as it was because of immigration laws, but there's still population growth. And the idea, or gas prices, right? So much of, of retail spending is, is gasoline. So if gas prices double, that's really not growth. I mean, you're paying more for the same gas. I don't know. There, and, but it, will, it, will, it will crimp expenditure in other parts of the economy. And I for think- sure. I, I was very resistant to this 2022 recession case to net consecutive quarters. But I, I mean, I, I think that there, you definitely could be right. I mean, we did have two consecutive quarters of real inflation adjusted GDP growth, uh, Q1 and you know, Q2. And that's because the price of oil went to $120 and the price of gas went to $7. And yeah. if you have a huge price shock, uh, you know, consumers are going to spend less in other sectors of the economy. So you had. Yeah. A recession or a slowdown, definitely a slowdown, you know, whether we want to call it a recession, it was definitely a slowdown. And then as inflation has fallen, because the price of oil is now you know, $70, uh, that, that's really good for consumer sentiment. Of course. And, and look, why people are so reticent to call a recession? It's like recessions are, are not bad. In fact, I will argue recessions are really good. And people say, oh, that's horrible. People lose their jobs. I'm like, they didn't last year. Look, yeah. not all companies should exist, right? Not all companies are good, just, just fact. And keeping bad companies alive isn't actually good for society. It's just not. And when here, here's why I say we're, we're coming out of recession. The number of people who lost jobs, fired, you know, downsized, whatever you want to call it, huge. That's happened in every recession in history. And then what happens? You get massive opportunity in venture capital. I have never been more busy as a venture capitalist, ever. And it's just like 2009, just like 2001. And those vintages are by far the best. Right? 2021 vintage is going to be a horrible vintage. Why? Keith Raboy summed it up. He said, yes, we've all lost our minds and valuations are too high, but you go first. You skip this hot deal by saying the valuation's wrong. And yeah, no and you don't want the, the bubble to continue. And no, then and everybody, like, why didn't you get into this? Why didn't you buy Uber at $100 billion? Absolutely. And everybody yeah. did. And they all justify it by saying, well, they did. You know, and, and look, there's no explanation for the valuation that FTX got at $36 billion. None. Zero. No explanation. But people did it. And why? Because other people were doing it. And it was just, it's, it's that emperor has no clothes. But, but now we're at a place where we're seeing people who were laid off and they're starting businesses. And it turns out they're really good. And I, I like to tell this one story uh, and then we'll go. But um, back in 01, uh, we backed this, this company. And it's a main story. They got laid off in the recession. And uh, I'm not even before one. This was in the 94 recession, 94, 95. Mm. And they got laid off. 
And he said, you know, can I take my project? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. We don't even know what dense wave multiplexing is. And he went all over Silicon Valley. No one would back him because he had an idea that if you shine light through a fiber optic cable, it takes X data. He said, I'm going to shine it through a prism, break it into eight colors. You get eight times more capacity. I'd be like, that'll never work. Turns out it works to 256X. So you can increase fiber optic capacity. A company called Sienna. Um, my favorite part of the story is his third grade teacher, retired, gave him her life savings, 300,000 bucks. Bad decision, actually, but turned out really nicely, turned into 300 million bucks. Wow. And it became a, a world beater company. And that was amazing. But in the teeth of the recession, he got laid off, but he wanted to feed his family. So he said, I like this project, it's gonna, and I'm going I'm to do this. And that's what's happening right now. And that is a sign of, ex, of early expansion, not contraction. So that's, that was kind of the last straw for me to say, eh, I was wrong. And, you know, it's okay. But spending doesn't, if, if someone gets laid off, in the short term, spending goes down. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but in the long term, you're absolutely sure. right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the nadir. And that is the nadir. And, and that's why I say, I think we're past the nadir. And now what we're seeing is these people are re-engaging and really cool stuff is being started. And uh, I just talked to one this morning and yeah, really cool little company. And we'll, we'll see what it looks like in a couple of years. Nice. Well, uh, Mark, thanks for you know letting me join you and, and stuff. And uh, f- thanks for being optimistic. I, I like how you leave Senator, Sinister Saturdays for when uh, Mike's here, you know? That's right. No, look, I, I, Sinister Saturday for me is just a portion, right? There's always got to be something. Because the, the world has a sinister element, right? I mean, we all know There's that. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no and, one would that. But optimism is way better. I and, agree. Um, it was funny. Last, last week, I did this from, from Lisbon. And, and Mike called me his sunny co-host. One, because you know, I'd been outside and I was sunburned. Um, but also because he said, you know, you're so, you're so cheerful today. I said, well, one, I'm rested, right? A two-week vacation, hadn't done it in 19 years. Now I'm going to do it more often. It was amazing. First Actually, vacation in 19 uh, years? Pardon? First vacation in 19 years? No, 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 no. Oh. First two weeks back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I take vacation all the time, but it was yeah, a yeah. day here, a day there, five days. But I hadn't done a full two-weeker. There's something about that duration I agree with you. That you get fully rested. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I was just raring to go. And I, and I was in a, in a and, and I was in a really cool place. And I just learned about the nice Templar and I was like buzzing. I, I do think that optimism matters and I appreciate the, the, the point. Um, but we do have to remember the, <laughs> the sinister forces that we have to deal with. And, and look, I, I I have nothing but admiration and respect for BlackRock and Larry and all those guys. I also have nothing but fear of, of what it means for the incumbents to get a toehold in what should be run by the disruptors. Mostly because it impacts my bottom line as I'm trying to fund the disruptors. So I, I do worry a little bit about that. So, you know, it, it's a cautious optimism. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Mark, thanks so much. And uh, we'll be here next week with uh, Mike. And thanks, everyone, for watching. All right. Thanks, Jack. 